thank God you're all right. God, yeah, let's thank God, shall we? For his blessings are raining down upon me. Wait, that's not rain! Bruce, please don't do that, honey. You know that everything happens for a reason. That I don't need. That is a cliche. That is not helpful to me. A bird in the hands or two in the bush. I have no bird. I have no bush. God has taken my bird in my bush. Oh, I see. So, so God is picking on you? Is that what you're saying? No, he's ignoring me completely. He's far too busy giving Evan everything he wants. Oh, that's great, Sam. But you missed your target. I'm over here! Don't get mad at the dog. It's not the dog's fault. No, it's God's fault. I gave him the wrong coordinates. All right, you know what? Enough, all right? You just stop being such a martyr? I am not being a martyr. I'm a victim. God is a mean kid sitting on an anthill with a magnifying glass, and I'm the ant. He could fix my life in five minutes if he wanted to, but he'd rather burn off my feelers and watch me squirm! <laughs> <clears throat> None of us uh, probably are as bold uh, to say something like that out loud. <clears throat> but I think there are probably plenty of times when we think that in our heads. Now, not, not all the time. I think for the most part, um, we're understanding of God. Um, we're acceptant of what he's doing and... Um, and we go along with it, understanding that the world is a big place and it's unruly and, and he's doing the best he can. Um, we're willing to give him uh, the thumbs up and, and say that our God is a good God who does good things. <clears throat> Except in those times when God seems to start acting off of script. When God starts to do things that are ungodlike, when God stops acting like the God we expect him to act like, that's when we struggle. When God seems to just let things happen, when he seems to not be there or to not be listening, or to not be acting and reacting as he should. Those times when the jerks seem to get all of the perks in life. Um, those times when all of our good deeds just make for a bad day. Those times when our faith seems to just cause friction and not favor with anyone. Those times when we, we're just trying to follow the rules and the rules seem to want to just rob us of any joy or any sanity. Those times when righteousness just seems to be reviled and, and immorality becomes immortalized and, and we look and we say, God, where are you? Why aren't you paying attention? Why aren't you acting? Why aren't you listening when I'm calling out to you in anguish? In the times when my, when my friends suddenly become my foes, when people I invest in just turn their backs on me, when 
my love just seems to be spat on and tread upon and then thrown back in my face. God, where are you? We've all been there. We've all felt it. We've all felt like we are walking alone and abandoned and rejected by God. We've all felt that desire to either just give up or to go out and, and to look for God in another God or another thing or another pleasure. Those times where we have, we have just wanted to blow up at God and, and hold his feet to the fire. Those times in our lives where we look and God is not acting like God. That he's not behaving like God should behave. Like we expect him to behave. <clears throat> this morning, uh, we're going to look at this issue <clears throat> because a man by the name of Habakkuk gives us the answer to how to live when God doesn't seem to be behaving like God, when God seems to be just acting off of script, out in left field, and we can't even fathom what he is doing. This morning, <clears throat> we're gonna continue our series uh, majoring with the minors, and we're gonna look at the next minor prophet, the prophet uh, Habakkuk, um, Habakkuk uh, came about uh, his ministry right around uh, 605 BC. Now, try to remember what we've said, and, and, I, and I know with some of the prophets, it's different timelines, but basically, what's going on in the big picture is this. <clears throat> the nation of Israel that God founded has been divided. Divided by the people. Brother and brother, ruler upon ruler, just turning on each other. And so the nation became split, north and south. And the northern part, uh, the, the part we call Israel, Samaria, the part that seemed to give in to sin first um, and most grossly, to the point that God punished them by bringing the Assyrians a foreign nation to come and take them over and enslave them. Habakkuk is a prophet of the southern part of Israel, the part of Israel that we call uh, Judah. <clears throat> Judah was um, a, a nation that, for a good amount of years, as the northern part was just drifting off in uh, decadence and decay and depravity, Judah seemed to hold its act together. It had the most righteous and noble kings um, out of both kingdoms, but it also had corrupted kings. But when Habakkuk comes to write, he's writing because Judah is beginning to fall in the same direction of its northern brother, Israel. Judah is becoming a nation that is given in to sin, given in to the same decadence and depravity. A nation that 
is beginning to oppress the poor, to engage in all sorts of depraved sexual behaviors. A nation that's turned its back on God and has run to other gods. A nation that's falling apart. And Habakkuk comes before God and he comes before the people and he prophesies as God speaks through him. Now what's interesting about Habakkuk is when you study <clears throat> Habakkuk's prophecy, it's, <clears throat> it's a discussion between Habakkuk and God. And Habakkuk is representing the complaints or the complaints of the nation of Judah. And so you see Habakkuk issuing a complaint and then God replying to the complaint. Um, and it's in that we're gonna see how we live, how we do life and deal with God when God doesn't seem to be acting like God. So let's uh, begin to look at chapter one. <clears throat> and it begins with uh, uh, Habakkuk's complaint. How long, Lord, must I call out for help? But you do not listen or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. It's a question that, that all of God's people have asked for throughout eternity. We've, we've cried out for God and, and he doesn't seem to hear us. He doesn't seem to be listening. He doesn't seem to even be acting to change anything. Habakkuk goes on. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed. Injustice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. So he's laying out his complaint. He's saying, God, why are you letting all this, thing, all this happen? Why are you allowing rulers to be corrupt and to hurt the poor? Why are you allowing our neighbors who hate us to begin to hem, in, hem us in and, and are, are posturing to invade us? Why don't you seem to care about us. He has got his complaints listed out. <clears throat> Notice his focus. God, why aren't you acting like God? Why aren't you seeing what we're seeing? Why aren't you listening when we're calling? Why are you putting us in this situation? Notice how the focus is narrow in its approach to God. It's God, why are you failing to fix our failures? Why aren't you helping us even while 
we spend our time pushing you away from us. It's, it's, it's that narcissism we talk about. God, why aren't you here for me when I don't want to be there for you? And then we, we act shocked by it. God responds. <clears throat> Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless, impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings, not their own. Now what is he saying? <clears throat> Here's Habakkuk. He's making his complaint. He says God isn't listening. He says God isn't acting. And now God listens. And now God speaks. And he says to him, oh no, no, I hear you. And I pay attention. And I've already got a plan for all of this. I'm gonna send the Babylonians to come. And, and they're gonna deal with your problems. Because they're gonna deal with you. I'm going to send them to punish you. Now, see, God isn't concerned with just the trouble around us. God is concerned with the trouble within us. What we won't deal with, he won't neglect. Why? Because he, he hates us? Because he's, he's like a, a mean kid sitting on an anthill with his magnifying glass and, and burning each ant as it walks out? No. Because God knows that the trouble around us isn't our real trouble. It isn't our real problem. That our real problem and our real troubles are the troubles within us. The sin around us means nothing compared to the sin within us. How does Habakkuk respond? <clears throat> I want you to pay attention because he's going to help God. He's going to school God. He's going to remind God who he is. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One. You will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate this treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? <clears throat> so he's saying to God this. God, I appreciate you responding. But you're way off. You're not thinking like God. You're not acting like God. You're going to bring evil to punish evil? No. A righteous God who, who doesn't like to look at impurity, he doesn't act like, that way. He doesn't do business that way. 
God, let me bring you back to the plan here. Mercy for us, justice for them. Love and forgive us and, and just look at our cuteness. Give some room for the lack of our righteousness. We do that all the time, don't we? We tell God how to act. We say, if God was a loving God, how could he allow this to happen? Because our premise is, God is loving. And so when God does this, and we view it as unloving, then he's not acting like God. When we look around and we're disturbed by things and situations, and we're hurt by people, and we look at God and we say, God, why aren't you taking care of this? Because you know, you're supposed to be a good God. You're supposed to be holy. You're supposed to be just. You're not supposed to put up with this nonsense. So why aren't you acting like yourself? Us schooling God on who God should be. Because God knows we've been God longer than he has. So we understand how God should act and be. Look how the Lord replies. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire? That the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. So, In chapter two, God says this in response. You're way off script, Habakkuk. You keep thinking about how things should be according to your plans. And you forget that your plans are not my plans. Your glory is not my glory. Your will is not my way. See, you forget that ultimately my plan is very simple. It is to bring about my glory in this world. Because without my glory, you have no story. Without my glory, you are nothing. Without my glory, you don't have hope You don't know what love is. Without my glory, you have no story. (laughs) I love the way he kind of finishes it in verse 20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. What he's saying is this. I'm in my temple and you're not. Therefore, I must be God and you 
aren't. We have this mindset sometimes that we can go before God and we can determine what's right and what's wrong. We can go before God as a peer. That we can say, you know, God, I know I haven't been God as long as you have, but, you know, my boots are the boots on the field here. You know, I have eyes on the ground, and so just, you know, let's work together on this. And God has no interest in working out our plans for our glory because all that would end up is in our pain and destruction. How do we deal with God when God doesn't act like God, when he doesn't do what we think he should be doing? Very simple. Our trust is in who he is, not what we think. Our trust is in who he is, not what we think. Look, I can sit here today and say, God, what the heck is going on? Are you paying attention to our presidential race here? I mean, we're, we're going out into all sorts of new ground and, and it's ugly. Are you paying attention? God, do you even care about Manchester? Have you, have you even bothered to, to notice that we got a major heroin problem here? God, do you remember how old I am? I'm trying to save for retirement and you keep allowing bills to flow to me as if I'm going to live forever. Are you paying attention? God, it's time to start acting like God. It's time to start shaping up because I ain't got all day for this. I'm trying to be happy. Now, if you could just try a little harder, we could pull this off. Because I care about what I see and what I feel and what I think is right and just. And God says to me, I don't care what you think. I don't care what script you think I should be playing off of. The only thing you should care about, the only thing you should trust in is not what you think, but who I am. And that's it. Why? Because number one, our knowledge, what we know, it's limited. 
You want to sit back and criticize God? Well, if God was paying attention, God would be doing this. Or look at the way we are. I mean, God could have done better. Or look at the way nations fight and kill and, and, and children get, get abused and tell me that God is loving or that God cares. See, we look at all of the things around us, all of the problems, all of our problems. And yet our knowledge is limited because God is moving and acting according to his good and perfect plan and it will come to pass. One of the blessings he gave us in the book of Revelation is to show us it's all going to be brought under his reign. It is all going to be dealt with. Everything. Even us. We have to look at who God is and trust in that, not what we think, because our knowledge is limited. The next time someone says to you, I don't believe in God, all you have to say is, well, how do you know he doesn't exist? Well, <clears throat> I haven't seen him. I haven't experienced him, so he mustn't exist. So you know throughout the whole universe, throughout every, through, on every plane, God's not there. Because you've made a, a search. You've searched the entire earth for God and you couldn't find him. You went out and you searched the whole solar system and you couldn't find him. Who can say that? It's ignorant to say there is no God because you would have had to done the legwork to look behind every rock to justify and and minimize and deal with everyone's experience with God and show how it wasn't real. You would have had to have traveled the universe to say I've come back and now I have proof there is no God. Our knowledge is limited. So who are we to decide what God should be doing? All we should be doing is looking to him. Yeah, there are times we can say, God, I I don't understand. But you're God. And that's all I need to know. And let everything burn around me. Let my life be destroyed. And you are still God and you are still good. And you will surprise me. You will show me what I don't see. What we know, it's limited. Second, what we see, it's corrupted. I've learned this uh, as a therapist. Nothing is as it appears to be. People come and 
and they present well and they speak well and they cover up well and then you learn what you see isn't real. I don't understand how, how that could have happened to so-and-so because he was such a good person. Really? Did you live with him? Do you really know him or her just as much as you think you do? What you see is corrupted. We see what we want to see. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've been burned in my own life by seeing what I wanted to see but wasn't real. I'm going to tell God how to run the universe? When my vision is so corrupted that what I think is real isn't real? What we see is corrupted. Uh, Third, what we feel is distorted. I feel hurt. So therefore, somebody must have wronged me. Or maybe I wronged them and, and I'm missing that. I, I, I feel angry. And I take it out on everyone around me and yet no one around me is has done anything to make me angry. Our feelings are so distorted, and yet, all of us, every single one of us, tend to live by our feelings over by what we even know. If we feel something, then that's the way it must be. If, if you meet me for the first time, and, and you look at me, and you think, you know, he reminds me of that jerk I grew up with. And all those feelings come back to me. And Yeah, I'm sure he's a jerk. Because our feelings are God, right? <laughs> We're gonna tell God what to do, how to think, how to feel. Our actions. How we act is it's misguided. We act off of what we know to be right and it's not. We come up with visions and plans and we pursue them only to watch them crash and burn. Can you put that up, Andreas? I can't tell you how many times I'll sit with people and and they'll say things like this. I know I shouldn't, but I really, I believe and I feel that I should. I know that God doesn't want me to and yet I know God wants me to be happy because this makes me feel happy. And I'll say to them, if you go down this road, it doesn't end well. 
If you go down this road, you're going to crash and burn, and I'll lay it out for them. And yet, they'll act based upon what they feel and not what they know. Lastly, how we love is damaged. This is the saddest part of all. That's why we thank God that God in who he is is love. Because what I think is loving could end up hurtful for you. What I think is in your best interest could most likely only be in my best interest. We say we love people, but then we hurt them at the same time. How is that love? We say we care about people, but we always put our own interests first. How is that love? See, here's the deal, and here's what I want you to understand. When you think God isn't acting like he's supposed to be acting, you need to step back and say, I'm acting like I'm not supposed to be acting. I'm not supposed to be judging God because my knowledge is limited. My vision is corrupted. My feelings are distorted. My acts are misguided and my love is damaged. And who am I? Instead of looking around, we just need to look up and look to God. And just say, God, I don't understand what's going on around me. I don't even understand what's going on within me. But I know this. You are God. And even though I don't understand, you are doing a far better job than I could even imagine. Because that's the deal. Because to live judging God means that you are going to live isolated You're going to live alone. You are going to live hostile. You are going to live fearful. And you're going to live hopeless. I can look at the elections. I can look at what's going on around the world. I can look at what's going on in Manchester. And I can find joy in knowing that God is still who he is. And who he is is bigger than all this stuff And who he is guarantees me this will all work out. Look at how Habakkuk finally responds to God. I love this. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, will be joyful in God my Savior. The Lord's, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Isn't that great? He says, from now on, when the feed, fields are barren and, and, and fruit isn't coming from the trees and everything looks bleak, 
I don't care. From now on, I will not let my situation determine my affection for God. In the midst of all of it, from now on, I will rejoice and know God is God. I mean, isn't that the cool part? I can look at the elections and I can see everything messed up and I can look at the city and see everything messed up. I can look at uh, my life and see everything messed up and yet God is like none of us and I can rejoice that there is one who knows more than I do, who loves better than I do, who acts more just and merciful than I do and so I will rejoice I will be joyful because my God is sovereign. That's a great word. It means he's in control of it all. And because he's sovereign, he's my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer that I can run through this world and I can do it with a sense of lightness and not burden. That I can tread on the highest places that I never thought I'd be able to tread because only a God like that can allow me to tread in a world like this. In short, what's he saying? One, be confident. Or excuse me, be patient. When you don't understand what's going on, just be patient. God does, and he'll act. Second, be compliant. Do what's right, even if everybody's doing what's wrong. Do what's right, even though your family your parents, your spouses, your kids are criticizing, your neighbors, your friends. Be compliant and know that the God you know won't let you down. Third, be observant. When you see what's going on around you, just know if you pay attention, you'll see God acting. You'll see God moving the pieces around the board. You'll see it. If you're trying to judge or direct, you won't. Fourth, be exuberant. Live in joy and rejoice before him. The only thing you have and the only thing you need is God. That's it. I don't need to define for you where, when, or how, or why. All that matters is who. If you let any of that get above the who, you're lost. And you'll have no joy. I rejoice not because of what's going on in me or around me, but what's going on above me. 
So when you begin to think and feel that God is off script, he's not. When you think that he must hate you or just dislike you very much, he doesn't. He loves you. If you are in Christ, then the deal is done and it's all going to work out. Have you seen the movie Risen? I just saw it the other night. If you you hadn't get a chance to see it, see it. There's a bit of a story that's used to kind of um, bring out the gospel. But one of the the things I love in in the movie is the disciples after seeing Jesus, they don't care about anything. They don't care about being put to death. They just, they, they're good. Because they know that God is God and he loves us. Nothing else matters. If you can do that, then you'll find joy If you can do that, you'll avert selfishness. If you can do that, you'll make a powerful impact. If you can do that, you will grow old and never die. Please join me in prayer.